Hey guys, Bear Grylls here, just to say, super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember, above all, never give up. Now, I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course explorers, some old friends, and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally for magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. In the long way round, there was very few people in Mongolia and Siberia and Far East Russia, whereas Africa is just full of people and full of life and full of animals. And I mean, there's nowhere else in the world where you can be riding along and you have to stop because 40 elephants are crossing the road. That was adventure motorcyclist and star of The Long Way Up, Charlie Borman. And it's time for Great Adventures. This series is not just about your love for riding and the places that you go, but also your friendship with you, McGregor, tremendous actor and, and obviously a tremendous travel partner, as it would appear in the series. Tell me a little bit about, you know, first meeting Ewan and how you guys decided to start doing these motorcycle trips together. Well, I, um, uh, I sort of started off as an actor and, and, um, and in the 80s, 90s and early thousands, I made quite a few quite a few movies and and then my career kind of sort of started started falling off the cliff i suppose i kept choosing films for their location and not so much for for the script so they would say you know this film's gonna be shot in africa but the script's not very good but i go yeah but it's africa you know i met ewan on a film called the Separate's kiss and i remember we were in some hotel lobby or somewhere where we'd all all the actors were meeting I knew Ewan had rode motorbikes and, and I knew he had a, he had a, a Moto Guzzi Le Mans and that was our, our friendship started. And, and we both just had our first children and who were, our wives were with us and their kids as we were making the movie. So, so we sort of became friends there. And, and then we came home after that and we, we started, I was involved in, in a motorbike race team and got Ewan involved in that. And we, we did track days together and we, we did everything that was to do with motorbikes. We just, we just did. And and that's kind of where our relationship sort of started. That was about twenty five years ago now. And and um, and then for, for ages we were just knocking about and doing stuff. And then then we thought we'd do a bit of a longer journey. And um, we thought we'd go down to the south of Spain and meet our families down the south of Spain, and then have a holiday and then ride back. And then I remember you and rang me up and he said, Charlie, I've got this. Um, I've got this great idea. I think you should come around to the house. And, and, and so we, I came, we went around to his house and, and he had a, a big map on the table. And he said, look, forget Spain. He said, he said, well, why don't we go to China instead? You know, seemed like a good idea. And then, and then we thought, well, if we're going to go to China, there's no point in going back. We may as well carry on. And then we'd met some, we'd met some guy who had a, a, a website called Millennium Ride. He'd gone along uh, the road of bones, which is what we did on Long Way Round. And he said, oh, look, you know, this is brilliant. If you get a chance, you've got to do this road. And it just seemed like you could just hop up from China and, and then head on to the Road of Bones and then head on to New York. It made sense, really. Um, 
and that's how it kind of started. <laughs> I love that it just started off as this you know, sort of vacation in Spain transformed into the road of bones and, and New York where I live. That's amazing. And that's how you know, I feel like great adventures and great trips really begin in the best of circumstances is these wild ideas. And that's definitely what it was. I'm sure once people start seeing the series, Absolutely. People are going to, if they haven't already, go back and, and binge watch these, these other two. So tell me about that experience, Long Way Round, and, and what you learned from that trip. And maybe if you have, I'm sure there's so many great memories from that trip, but are there one or two sort of more vivid moments that you remember cherishing the surroundings and the opportunity that you guys had to, to do this ride together? We didn't really know what was going to happen, really. I mean, we thought it would be really good to document it. And then someone said that would make a lovely book. And, and we thought, well, God, you know, it would be lovely to keep a record of what we did. You know, and it's really important when you do these trips or any trip is to document it, to make sure you take plenty of photos or keep a journal or, or keep a little video diary because it's so easy to forget. And it's lovely to look back, you know, when you look back at, at old photo albums and stuff like that, and you go, oh God, I'm, I remember this and I remember that. So it was that, that, so that's kind of how it started. And I'm totally dyslexic and, and stuff. So there was no point in me keeping a journal. So I thought I'd keep a video diary. And then we thought, well, if we're going to do a video diary, why don't we just sort of film what we're doing and put something together? And that's kind of how it kind of snowballed. And we kind of left the trip with, with lots of hopes and excitement and, and worries and fears and, and all sorts <laughs> of stuff and, and kind of headed out and just sort of just sort of took on whatever came as we went along. And, um, and that was the kind of the great thing about it is that we had a a vague idea of what, what we wanted to do, which countries we were going to go through. We knew we were going to visit three UNICEF sites or projects along the way. And, and, and those all kind of, then we knew we wanted to go on the road of bones. So, so that's eventually how we, we, we organized it, but everything in between, we didn't really know. And, you know, we met all sorts of interesting people. I mean, one of the people that we met that kind of springs to mind was Igor when we met him in, uh, in, in Ukraine. And we've somehow met these policemen who tried to police us for some money for speeding and then ended up in Igor's house. And Igor ended up being this kind of sort of, maybe, I don't know if he was or wasn't, but there was a lot of guns anyway. I, I have no idea <laughs> what he was involved in. But that just turned out to be this crazy evening. And I remember we were all sitting there and he invited us in and, and everything was fantastic. And then suddenly we, all these people turned up to have dinner with us and they were all carrying guns. And, and then Igor comes downstairs, down the stairs with a guitar and a, and a Kalashnikov and says, make love, not war. And then sings this fantastic song, you know, and you and I are just sitting there thinking, what on earth? And, and I remember, I remember that, that, that in that house, there were just loads of guys with guns and guns everywhere. But I remember that you weren't allowed to smoke in the house. So you had to, you had to leave the house to smoke, but you could bring a Kalashnikov into the house. And I remember being outside with this, one of these guys as smoking a cigarette. And Ewan was inside and, and then Ewan hears this gunshot go off and he thinks, and he turns to one of the guys and says, he goes, oh my gosh, I think, I think they've shot Charlie. <laughs> and so he runs out the house and I'm standing there completely all freaked out because this guy had just started, just, just took his gun out and just started shooting it in the air. And these cartridges were hitting me in the side of the head. You know, And Ewan comes in, I'm sitting there sort of smoking this cigarette, looking over at him and he's going, Oh my gosh, well, I thought they killed you. Like this. Anyway. So it was just, it was hilarious. And there were just so many moments like that, that you just sat there just thinking, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. 
I'd love to hear about maybe a moment of adversity that you faced in that trip that you guys were able to overcome. And, and maybe at the moment you were like, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get through this. It turned out to be sort of a, a formidable experience. I think um, in all of the shows that we've done, you know, there are good days and bad days and, and some days tougher than others. And, and I think Mongolia for a long way was, 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 was one of the tougher countries that we went through. You know, there was very little infrastructure with really difficult roads and stuff. Having said that, whenever we stopped in the middle of nowhere, you know, struggling or we broken down or something went wrong, you know, within, and it's extraordinary, within, within a small period of time, someone would turn up on a horse or in a car or, you know, whatever. And, you, and, and you'd figure out that they'd heard your motorbikes going along and then they'd heard them stop. And then they came to investigate. The kindness and generosity of people is one of the things that you really take from all these trips. I'm sure anybody who, who has been on a trip and broken down or whatever, it's quite extraordinary the amount of help, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's really something which is, which is fantastic. So, so out of all these countries, you know, I, I, you and I have never been really to been to a bad one. And so the thing to do is get out there and do it and then realize how much fun it is. But, you know, having said that, we did end up in some extraordinary places. I mean, the, the road of bones was, was really difficult. I mean, the road itself wasn't actually that bad. It was built from the gulag camps and prisoners that had been sent to these crazy places in the middle of nowhere and then put into forced labor. And, and the road of bones was one of those where they built this road to get to a gold mine. But the reason it's called the road of bones is because whoever died building it were buried in the road. And there were loads of rivers and every single bridge was gone. <laughs> so, so crossing big rivers on, on motorbikes is quite difficult. We had to find a truck, this four by four Kamaz truck to help us get over these rivers. And we had to dig ramps to get down into the rivers. And then, then we would go down in the truck and then we would sit on the bonnet and the truck would take us to the other side and drop us off. And then we would dig ramps to be able to get the trucks to go back up again because the rivers were just too deep for the motorcycles. So I suppose that's what we were kind of really looking for was that kind of adventure, you know, where we're going to be able to make it. Well, who knew? No one knew. But, you know, one thing we weren't going to do was was give up. I love that you you put yourself in these circumstances and you were able to to push through them. You did the long way down pretty quickly after that special, correct? So obviously it was something that you want to get back to, it was experience that you really cherished. So tell me about the conversations leading into the long way down and the impetus of that trip. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think we'd always, um, we'd always, you know, it's funny when you do these big trips and, and each journey has a lifespan, you know, at the beginning, middle and an end. And as you get towards the end of the, of the trip, you're, you're kind of excited about going home and about getting back to normality. And, you know, you're excited to see your family for sure and get back to some kind of normal life. But at the same time, you don't really want the trip to finish. And, and that if somebody, if you could have an excuse, you'd probably just turn around and go back again, you know. So by talking about maybe doing another one, it makes it easier to finish the one you're on. You go, oh, we'll finish this one because we were going to do another one, you know. But none of us really knew whether or not this anyone would, anyone would watch the first one. You know, we put it together. And when it came out, it was a bit of a slow burner. Um, it, it didn't it didn't have any instant success at all. It took a while to get momentum going. And, and lucky enough, some people watched it. And because of Long Way Round, I was then able to then enter and do the Dakar Rally in 2006. I think off the back of the success of Long Way Round. And I, I made a TV show called Race to Dakar, which was all about a privateer entering the most dangerous race in the world. 
And so I went off and did that. And then on day five, I didn't finish the race. I, I broke my hands on day five. And then we had two teammates in there as well. And then so I went from racing to being the guy running the team with two broken hands who couldn't even wipe his own ass. So th that was an extraordinary thing. And then then you Ewan met me down in, in Senegal and there was all these big trucks and it was Africa and the smell of Africa. There's something about Africa that is so intoxicating. It's just extraordinary place. And Ewan said, come on, Charlie, we've got to do another one. And, and so Long Way Down was born. And, that, and that's how we kind of ended up doing doing another one. And, and Long Way Down was so different to, to Long Way Up, you know, totally different continent. You know, Long Way Round, there was very few people in Mongolia and Siberia and Far East Russia. It was very barren, remote, whereas Africa was just full of people and full of life and full of animals. And I mean, there's nowhere else in the world where you can be riding along and you have to stop because 40 elephants are crossing the road, you know, and a giraffe and zebra and eland and kudu and... You know, it's just an extraordinary place. I mean, the rest of the world has just shot everything. You know, there's nothing left. So to travel in Africa, it's a, it's a real joy. Going into this show, The Long Way Down, there's more of an expectation. You already created the first film and people are excited for another one and people are talking about it. So there's a little bit more of a production value, I'm sure, going into it. Tell me a little bit about, you know, finding that time, though, in between the craziness of the trip where you were able to sit and actually revel in the moment. Maybe it wasn't a planned stop, but you just said, we need to stay here or we need to spend some more time in this location because it's just more amazing than I ever expected. The whole thing of, of it is, is there's never really enough time. You, you set yourself three months, six months, a year. Like on this, on this last trip long way up, we met a guy in, and I think he'd only just gotten into Guatemala. We were passing the other way. He was going south. We were going north. And he saw us and he turned around and he chased after us and he stopped us. And he said, hey, you know, how's it going? I, I knew that you guys were on the upward and I was hoping we'd pass. And he was great, you know, because of what you guys did, I'm doing it now. And that was like super cool. And then we're saying, we're saying well, how, how's it going? He goes, oh, well, he said, I've got a year and a half to do the trip. And I've done nine months and I, I've only just gotten into Central America. And he goes, I don't think I'm going to have a enough time <laughs> and I was laughing because I was thinking I was thinking well, wow, a year and a half is quite a long time you know but but it's amazing no matter how much time you you've given yourself that's the time you have you know I think one of the beautiful things about Africa you know when we were in the middle of nowhere I mean there was one particular time we we were looking for a place to camp and we came over the crest of this hill and we stopped and you and it had stopped just in front of me and, and he was looking down at this this little bit of a valley in front of him and, and he was looking for somewhere to pitch our tent and as we stopped there we just saw these elephants just walking past the road and hippos in the in the river and we sort of chose a campsite and we just sort of put our tent up at about three or four in the afternoon and set ourselves up and we just sat as people do in Africa you have a nice sundowner and we just sat there drinking a cup of coffee watching the sun go down and listening to the hippos and the elephants and and, and you just think you know what, I could just spend a couple of days just in the bush here, just in the middle of nowhere. And those were the great moments of Africa, those 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 kind of big skies and those sundowners that were so that are so beautiful and listening to so many animals. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. Let's get into a long way up. You had a you had an accident in between these two productions, which was pretty serious. And I know Ewan's spoken on it, and I remember asking him about it during one of the press tours. I know it, it sort of shook 
you know, your, your reality up a little bit, but from what I hear, it didn't shake up your spirit. So tell me a little bit about going through that event and your thought process on it. Was there ever a moment of hesitation as far as getting back on a bike or was that always the end goal was to get back on a bike and ride again? I think, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of motocross and enduro racing and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I was used to falling off a little bit and breaking bones. Like in the Dakar rally, I, I broke my hands and, and then, you know, broken little bits and pieces as I've gone along with, with motocross and stuff. But for sure, in 2016, when I, when I was in Portugal, I, I really did mess myself up quite badly. And I had a big crash. I uh, got clipped by a car and I hit the wall uh, and, and smashed my legs up really badly. Almost lost my left leg. The tibia and fibula was broken. I remember getting, you know, you know, when you fall off your motorbike, the first thing to do is get up as quickly as possible, pick up the bike, and then sit on the bike and pretend that you haven't crashed. As the next person goes by, and you sort of wave, going, "Yeah, yeah, nothing to see here," you know. <laughs> anyway, so I jumped up to to go and get the bike, which was lying there in three pieces, and couldn't see the, the rear wheel at all. And apparently, it was only later on, that two hours later, that they found it. And it had bounced down the road into someone's garden. So you can imagine the impact that was there. And, um, and I stood up and I, and I went to walk on my left leg and I couldn't do it. And I looked down and there was this, just this, this halfway down my shin, there was just this floppy bit of, of leg just mm. flopping around in the wrong positions and blood everywhere. And it was like, oh, so I kind of lay back down and thought, well, this is bad. God. And it was brutal, actually. And I was awake for the whole thing. So I, I felt all the, the whole thing. And anyway, got to the hospital and, and I'd broken my left leg, as I said, really badly. I dislocated and broke my right ankle really badly and all the tendons ripped off the ankle. And and then I broke a bit bone in my hand here as well. And, and I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. And, Sounds um, like a horror movie, man. Sounds oh, like a horror God, movie. it was awful. And uh, the impact, I never forget the impact. It was so brutal. I, I went flying through there and I remember look, looking at the wall that I was going to and there was a big curb about this big. And I remember thinking, God, I'm going to miss the curb, I'm going to miss the curb. And then boom, I hit the curb and, um, and then hit the wall. And oh, it was, you know, people talk about your teeth rattle when you get hit really hard. Well, that's kind of how it felt. Anyway. Went in, had a bunch of operations, uh, woke up the next morning in the, in the hospital bed and I was looking down at myself and, I was, and three of my limbs were in bandages. And I thought, oh, this is not good, you know. And then, then I kind of sort of realized where I was and I was sharing a room with someone and I looked over at the person beside me and they were in, he was in a terrible way. And I mean, really bad. And, and I looked at him and I looked at myself and, you know, I actually became quite cheery about my own injuries. I'm going, mm. actually, that's, that's not so bad, you know. And from that point on, I used the idea of getting back on a motorbike as therapy and as physiotherapy and, and mental therapy to focus all my energy on that. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And I, I don't think I'd ever give up riding. Great Adventures is lucky to have partners that share our love for a good story, like Whistlepig Whiskey. They're American rice perfected in the beautiful Vermont countryside. I've been to their farm, I've seen the process, and a lot of care goes into creating each glass. It's also the perfect nightcap after a day in the wild. Check them out on Instagram, at Whistlepig Whiskey. I 
as terrible as those accidents can be. And I've definitely had my moments of not being able to walk for a few weeks or a few months, actually. Once you start just going upstairs again, you're just so eternally grateful. And you're just, you know, you feel blessed. And also, I remember when I when I talked to you in about the situation, because I was such a fan of the, the series and the films, I know he mentioned, you know, calling you and, and not being able to get in touch with you initially as far as a phone call. It was someone picked up your phone for you. And I wonder, you know, again, after going through an incident like that, did you find it strengthened, you know, your other relationships? Did you find it made you want to reconnect with people? And especially in the case of Ewan, did it make you want to go on another long adventure with him? You know, Long Way Up was always on the cards, you know, because we'd always spoken about doing another one. And then I think in 2016, uh, I had that crash and Ewan rang up and then was one of the guys from from Triumph had said, you know, I'm so sorry, Ewan, but he's, you know, he's in, he's in theater, he's been in there for ages. And and then I think, you know, Ewan and I, after Long Way Down, you know, Ewan had gone and live in the States and I was living over here and he was really busy and I was busy making other TV shows as well. We just drifted a little bit you know, as, as friends do when you're not in living in the same country, you know, th- there was nothing had gone wrong with the relationship, but it's just distance, you know? And then I think when you had that, when, when you rang and he, and I realized I had the crash and he was saying, look, it's ridiculous that we just letting this relationship drift, you know, your friendships are really important, especially the important ones are important. If that makes sense. <laughs> um, and, and so he kind of sort of reached out again. And then because I was stuck at home, because it took me, I think almost two years to sort of walk properly again. And um, and still now, you know, when you, you talk about people running up the stairs, I still now <laughs> sitting there and if I'm someone, someone runs up the stairs, especially if they're running up the stairs and talking on the telephone, I get so jealous. I just think, gosh, I can never do that again, you know, because I, I just have to hold on to the banister and literally pull myself up the stairs. And then so, so we kind of, we sort of, he came over here and then he spent a bit of time with me and he ended up staying at the house for a while. And we, you know, as best friends do, you just pick up from where you left off. And then I had another accident in 18, just before this. this and then I really smashed myself up on that one. I was in the middle of Africa and then in the middle of South Africa, just below Lesotho, I smashed my collarbone and had that plated. I snapped my forearm in half, bent that backwards and had, all the bones came out and two plates put in there. And then I broke my pelvis as well and had to have that plated as well. <laughs> and so the whole, the whole process, I went back to a wheelchair for ages and, oh my God, it was just, you know, just horrendous. And all this time we were starting to talk about doing Long Way Up. And so we were still planning it. And, and, the, and Russ and Dave had come over to start planning and I was sitting in a wheelchair and I'm going, yeah, yeah, you know, it'd be fine. It's just, it's just, you know, as my, as my surgeon said, he's just, he's just been like a carpenter. He's just put me back together. A couple of weeks, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's only a flesh wound. Sure. It's like a little Amani python. Wound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's only a flesh wound. And, um, and you know, I'd had brain, brain bleeds because I'd smacked my head really badly as well. Uh, but having said that, I think, you know, there was never a question of, getting back on the bike, which I did. And, you know, the, 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 the focus on getting back with Ewan and Russ and Dave, our two producer friends and partners in, in, in this, it was just so exciting. And, and then the idea of when we all sat around a table together talking about maybe doing it electric and Russ had thrown the idea in saying, look, you know, no one's done it really. Let's, let's give it a go, you know? So all of that became so much fun to try to sort out and get done and get to that start line. 
Tell me a little bit about uh, selecting the bikes for this trip. You know, you worked with Harley Davidson, obviously an epic company. I love their bikes. Tell me about doing it and doing it electric with them. It's funny when, 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 when you say to people, yeah, we're going to go and do a long way up. We're going to go from the bottom of Argentina to Los Angeles. And people go, oh, great. You know, what bikes are you using? We said, you know, we're going to use electric bikes. And they go, what? You go, yeah, we're going to just plug in the whole way. And, they, and, and they're Harley Davidson's. And people go, what? <laughs> <laughs> double sometimes we thought what what are we doing here you know but it was interesting that when we started looking to different manufacturers as to what was what was around that the motorcycle industry um, is a little bit behind the the ball compared to cars and so you know harley had been developing this bike for the last sort of six years and so by the time we saw it uh, they'd really put it through its paces we said, look, would you be able to beef it up a little bit for us? You know, we'd love it to be a bit more of an adventure bike. And they said, yeah, no, we think we can do something. And, you know, we thought about beefing up the front end and the back and putting it, some panniers on the back and, and all this kind of stuff. And they went away and said, okay. And then, and then when they came back again, you know, they opened up this Harley Davidson van and out the back came, came a live wire and a live wire adventure. And it was incredible. You know, the work they'd done was incredible. And they'd all done it off the run time. They all had full-time jobs in Harley-Davidson. And in their spare time, they all used their, you know, used up their spare time to get involved in this project. And it, it was just incredible what they'd built. And, and it was a no-brainer, really, to go with them. And so that was good. And so we decided to do that. And then by the time we got down to Ushuaia in Argentina, because there were prototypes and and, and we had these Rivians as well, these two pickup trucks that were prototypes. So by the time we got to Ashwaya, you and I test rode them in, in Ashwaya, and we'd realized we'd only ridden them for like for a couple of hours in total and, and had never really charged them. <laughs> so we didn't really know anything about anything, really. And we still don't know much about anything. And we, still, we never really quite knew where we were or what the town we were in or... Our Spanish was terrible, but that was the fun of it, is, is two, two friends going off and, and, and having, a hopefully, a, a watchable adventure. You know, it was such a big learning curve along the way. We had to really understand and learn about electric and how it plugs in. You know, there were no fast chargers in South America, so we spent the whole way up just with the generosity of people allowing us to plug into their homes. You know, we were super aware that we were traveling through some very poor parts of the world and, and that whenever we asked for electricity, we would always pay for our electricity. And, and we, we certainly didn't want anybody to be out of, out of pocket because of it. And, but it was incredible that, that you could just plug these Harley Davidson's in. So we'd get to the end of some day and we would always have that sort of story. They go, you know, Oh, wow, these are, but can we plug in our bikes? And they go, what, we've got electric bikes. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going up to LA. What, going up to LA? And, and, then, and then it would be like, what, what are the bikes? Is it Harley Davidson's? And they'd go, what? <laughs> and that was always very funny. But what was really interesting about all of that was that we, we were having this very different experience. You're not just going to petrol stations and filling up and heading on. We were going to, to businesses. We were in the day plugging into restaurants or plugging into businesses you know, asking people, can, it, can we plug in and use your electricity or going to people's houses in the evening? And, and no one said no. Everyone just said, yeah, of course, come on in. How, what, tell us what you're doing, you know. And we would plunge the restaurant into darkness or plunge the, the youth <laughs> hostel we were into. We'd all be sitting there, you know, having dinner and suddenly, 
No electricity. <laughs> we got, turned oh, we'll towards you guys. <laughs> yeah, and then we sort of we, then we became experts about being electricians as well, and 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 some of the places we plugged into. I mean, some of the plugs were just hanging out of the wall with these two little wires hanging out, and you know you you plug the plug in and you get this this little bit of electric coming through. I hope this is going to work, and you'd almost sort of sneak away from the bike not to disturb it from charging. You know. <laughs> it was just extraordinary. And there were certainly times when we thought, you know, that we were never going to make it. You know, when we first started off, it was really, really cold. And I think it was the, the worst winter since 94 or something like that. And it was cold. You know, the batteries don't like the cold so much. So at the beginning, our distances weren't as much as they would normally be. And of course, because we didn't know what the distances were going to be, we, we just thought, well, this isn't going to work, you know, and then got warmed up a little bit. Then we got clever about putting the bikes into people's houses to keep them warm and put blankets on them and stuff to help with the charging. And I mean, you know, um, someone described batteries as like a, as like a bottle of really nice red wine and it likes to be at room temperature and when you fill the glass up, you can fill it up really fast. But right at the end, that last 10%, you have to fill it slowly so that you don't spill it. And, and that's kind of what a battery is like. You have to look after it a little bit. And so we, we learn all those amazing things, but at the same time, plugging into all these people's lives, which was fantastic. Obviously, aside from the benefits to the environment that electric provides, I'm such a fan of, of road tripping on electric vehicles just because of the quiet and the appreciation I feel like of nature is almost expounded and, and compounded. You can hear and there's less of that engine noise or roaring as much as, you know, I don't mind a little petrol when I, when I get on a gas pedal or anything like that. It's definitely an experience to be traveling through a countryside in an electric vehicle. Sure, I think I think it's it's a very different experience, and what it's interesting experience because you haven't got the vibration and the the noise of the engine. In some ways, you you feel connected to the road in a in a very different way. You can feel the road much more. You can you can sense the sounds that are around you, and and that's and that's a really interesting thing. And I, I found myself being a bit less tired by it. Maybe that engine noise or whatever, you know, makes, makes it more, more tiring to, to ride. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, there's, you know, electric has a long way to go and there's, and there's certainly, I'm not advocating that we should absolutely replace everything, but they both have their place. And, um, and what was really amazing was when we were in the, out in the, in the Pampas, in the Argentina, in those big open plains, when you pull up by the side of the road and there'd be a, a big herd of llamas right beside the road. And because your bike didn't have any noise, you just, rolled up and stopped beside the llamas and they didn't go anywhere. And they'd be sort of looking at you. They're very pretty llamas. They have these very big, very beautiful eyes with these big long eyelashes. And they're just sitting there and they're looking at you and just sort of blinking away. And, and you just think, oh, wow. You know, that was really nice. And, and riding through towns, you could hear people talking and, and you could hear life around you. And that was interesting. I really liked that. And then, of course, and then the other side of it is that, you know, these things, when you pull the throttle, these things accelerate. Like, I mean, they're not to 60 in three seconds. And that 40 to 80, when you're overtaking somebody, that instant throttle is, is you, have, you have to hold on to your stomach muscles. Otherwise, you can get a feeling of motion sickness. It's, it becomes, it's so vicious, the acceleration. And then these bikes, you know, you look at these, they're quite futuristic bikes. And then Harley Davidson made these bikes to handle unbelievably well. I mean, we, we went into, I suppose Bolivia was probably the worst 
terrain we did. So we went from Chile at about 12,000 feet, went over the border and then hit Chile. And it was just deep gravel, sand, unbelievable corrugation. I mean, I, I've, we've, you and I have traveled all over the world and have never experienced corrugation like that. I mean, it was brutal. And you're just sitting like that going on like this for hours, you know, and you think this bike is just going to fall apart, you know, and it just soaked up the bumps. It, it went along. And then, then you sort of forgot you were just busy riding because you were terrified about falling over or because, you know, big heavy bikes don't like deep sand. I mean, and nobody likes to ride in deep heavy sand on a big heavy bike with all your gear on it and all that kind of stuff. And then you'd be riding and then you'd realize, well, hang on a minute, we're in the middle of, 13,000 feet, 12,000 feet, we're in the middle of the Bolivian desert. There's just desert everywhere. It's stunningly beautiful. And you're thinking, okay, we're on electric bikes. This is pretty cool. I also think one of the beauties of a, of a road trip or a motorbike ride is the fact that it isn't a situation in which you're traveling through a countryside and you're doing these city jumps, skipping to the capitals and skipping to the developed cities. You're getting to see all that terrain in between on the route from Argentina to LA. Was there any location in particular where you were like, this is a place that we might not have been through if we looked at a map, but are so grateful that we got to see this? Yeah, I mean, there were loads of times. I mean, I was just talking about Bolivia and how tough and how remote and how high and you know we, we spent about a month uh we never got below ten thousand feet and at one point i remember just extraordinary uh, and we'd gone through bolivia and it was that was super tough got into 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 peru and gone gone up to machu picchu that palace in the top of the mountain extraordinary place and then we were heading towards lima which is the capital and been high for three or four weeks. We've been super high. And then we got to about 15,000 feet, which is one of the highest points that we got. And from 15,000 feet, we went down to uh, sea level and it took about four and a half hours just going down on these twisty, twisty, beautiful roads with these big concrete washout, you know, water washouts. And I mean, it was amazing through these beautiful villages and super green. And and we're always you know you're always worried about about range and and your battery percentage and stuff like that. And we started fifteen thousand feet, and four and a half hours later, and we were down at sea level. We'd done eight percent of our battery power, <laughs> which was just extraordinary. And it was just the most awesome ride. I mean, awesome four and a half hours of the twistiest roads, all going downhill. It was just beautiful. I love it, man. I love it. I remember talking to, you know, Randy Gerber and, and George Clooney, who have done a couple, you know, fun rides. Yeah. And just some of the experiences that come about, you know, traveling with somebody of Ewan's notoriety. Obviously, he's a great man besides all of the acting in the Hollywood yeah. that comes along with it. Can you recall experience in which, you know, the fact of his notoriety made things a little unique yeah. to your situation? I think it's always nice to talk to the people who've done long, long journeys because you, all of you have those kind of same experiences. You have a your breakdown, you you meet people along the way. And, and it's not about going from city to city because we, we, we tended to try and keep away from big cities because it just takes up too much time and the city is just a city, really. We went to a place called Guayaquil and we were kind of walking around town and someone had noticed them and I think it was a big Star Wars fan. And then suddenly there was, we were sitting in a restaurant and there were just loads of people all around us. But 
you know, we spoke to one of them and they just said they were just so excited. So rarely does someone come down of, of that notoriety, come down to that town. You know, it just doesn't happen that often. So for them, it was a really, it was a really big thing and they were just enthusiastic and excited and that was nice, you know. And Ewan got to meet a whole bunch of people and had some photos taken with them and made their day. And that was lovely. The other time I remember, and Ewan, it was very funny, we were sitting there and we were doing a UNICEF project in Peru and, and school is a huge thing in, in, in every country. Everybody wants their kids to go, to go to school. So this school went from a small town to a big town because of this school and people moved their whole lives just to bring the kids to that school so they could go to school there and change their lives. It's so important for them. Anyway, so we're sitting in the school and chatting to all the kids and one of them asked what do you do? And Ewan said, oh, we're, we're, we're both actors. And they said, oh, what movies have you done? So he rattled off Star Wars and Moulin Rouge and all the other things. had a clue what was going on. So that kind of conversation just kind of, just kind of sort of swept away into the, into the distance. And we were sort of laughing about it. And there's no reason why they should. They're busy getting on with their own lives. You know, there's no reason. And then, so we, then we, we walked over to go and sit with some of the kids and these kids teaching us what they were up to and stuff. And so Ewan sat down on this little kid's chair. I sat on this kid's chair and this chair just disintegrated underneath my legs. And they thought that was just the funniest thing in the world. So forget that we were actors, but that was funny for them. And I Love think it. one of the nice things for Ewan and for maybe George and other people is that when you do these journeys, a lot of the time you're anonymous. So I have two questions I'm going to ask you. Yep. The first one is, if I hand you a plane ticket right now and you could go anywhere and do anything, where would you go and what would you do? Can I have multiple a multiple stop ticket? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> no, well, I would go back to Colombia. Absolutely fantastic part of the world. Awesome place. And so cool. And Medin, I mean, just, you've got to go. I mean, you know, forget that, you know, I think everybody, everybody has watched that TV show Narcos and just think, that's Colombia, but that was a long time ago. And it's such a fantastic place. I mean, the people are so nice. I absolutely love that. And then if I could, I, I, I would always go back to Africa. I do a motorcycle tour there every year where I take people from South Africa to, to Victoria Falls, who, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, into Lesotho and all that kind of, and just, I have a big thing for all the places I've been to. <laughs> Uh, I love it. I, I want to join you on one of those. Maybe I'll speak oh, yeah, on those, uh, one of those trips oh, sometime. Oh, my God. And the last question is, if I say the perfect sunset, what place comes to your mind? It's very difficult to get from Colombia to Panama because of the Darien Gap. And we took a little boat ride at one stage and we spent a couple of nights on the boat. And, and I remember just wallowing along with this dense jungle hanging into the, into the Pacific Ocean, looking at some pretty impressive sunset and, and just nothing around. That was pretty cool. The sun came up, the world began to shake. Never to awaken 
Stay.